0: Welcome to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. With over 150 years of experience and deep industry knowledge, Weber Wenzel is the leading full-service law firm on the African continent. Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode in Weber Wenzel's Business and Human Rights podcast series. I am Pooja De and I'm a partner in the Dispute Resolution team with a special interest in human rights, both domestically and internationally. I'm here with Paula Ann Novotny, a senior associate who is an integral part of our environmental and ESG teams. In our first session, we introduced the concept of business and human rights and what it means for corporates in the context of the world's current focus on a sustainable future, ESG, and creating a world for future generations. Today, we are going to unpack each of the stages of the human rights due diligence process. These days, businesses are required to take ownership of and commit to respecting human rights within their organizations and throughout their entire value chain. They need to act on identifying, preventing, mitigating, and remediating negative human rights impacts that may result from their own operations or their business relationships by putting the necessary systems and controls in place. The main controls, as envisaged in the United Nations Guiding Principles on Human Rights, or the UNGPs, include human rights due diligence and human rights impact assessments. Principle 13 of the UNGPs clearly states that businesses must seek to mitigate adverse human rights impacts that are directly linked to their operations, products, or services by their business relationships, even if they have not contributed to those impacts. This means that businesses should not only embrace their commitment to human rights internally, but that they should express this by contracting with other entities who do the same. Importantly, business relationships are defined very broadly in the UNGPs, and it includes the organization's business partners, entities in its broader value chain being indirect business relationships, and any other non-state or state entities directly linked to the business operations, products or services. Paula, can you take us through the concept of a human rights due diligence and a human rights impact assessment and what they entail?
1: Thanks, Boja. Yes, sure. So as mentioned in our previous episode, the UNGPs are what we know as the foundational framework, which informs business and human rights. And the UNGPs set the actual expectations of states and of companies and how They are to prevent and address the negative impacts of human rights or on human rights from their business operations. To achieve this, the UNGPs require a few things of businesses. Firstly, they're required to avoid causing or contributing to adverse human rights impacts through their own activities. And addressing those impacts when they occur. And secondly, they're supposed to seek to prevent or mitigate adverse human rights impacts that are directly linked to their operations by their business relationships. So this is even when they have not contributed to those impacts themselves. In order to identify, prevent, mitigate, and account for how business addresses these adverse human rights impacts, the UNGP's in its Principle 17 actually provides guidance in stating that businesses should carry out human rights due diligence. So this is where we have our first introduction to the concept of a human rights due diligence. But what is important to note at this stage is that a human rights DD Is not a singular assessment at a particular point in time, as we know with our corporate risk-based due diligence. In the context of business and human rights, a human rights due diligence is actually considered to be an ongoing risk management process. And the UGPs require this of any reasonable and prudent organization that they must follow in order to, again, identify, prevent, mitigate, and account for how they plan to address adverse human rights impacts both which might arise from their operations, but also those which might be attributable to their business. Another important thing to note about human rights due diligence is that there is no uniform or one-size-fits-all approach. A human rights DD must be tailored to each organization, and it has to be considered within the context of your country, company, and project-specific nuances. Uh, further guidance from the UNGPs in terms of what a human rights DD entails is that it comprises four key steps, which we'll go into today. The first is assessing your actual and potential human rights impacts. So this is the human rights impact assessment or the HRIA that you mentioned earlier, Puja. The second step is integrating and acting on the findings of that HRIA, The third is tracking your company's responses to the impacts that were identified during that process. And finally, it is communicating to affected stakeholders and the public in general about how those impacts are being or will be addressed. Now, Pujda, the first step, which is the human rights impact assessment, is quite critical and nuanced. Maybe you can take us through how a business would actually go about doing that assessment. Absolutely, Paula. Principle
0: 18 of the UNGPs informs the requirements for a human rights impact assessment. And it provides that in order to gauge human rights risks, business enterprises should identify and assess any actual or potential adverse human rights impacts with which they may be involved, either through their own activities or as a result of their business relationships. Now, this process should firstly draw on internal and or independent external human rights expertise. And secondly, involve meaningful consultation with potentially affected groups and other relevant stakeholders as appropriate to the size of the business enterprise and, and also the nature and context of the operation itself. Now, the purpose of a human rights impact assessment is to understand the specific human rights impacts on a specific people or rights holders. Given a specific context of operations, and in particular, paying attention to human rights impacts on individuals from groups or populations that may be at a heightened risk of vulnerability or marginalization. Now, because human rights situations are dynamic, assessments of human rights impacts should be undertaken at a regular interval. Now, prior to, uh, this would be prior to a new activity or relationship, prior to major decisions or changes in the operations, For example, market entry, product launch, policy change or wider changes within the business or to the business itself in response to or in anticipation of changes to the operating environment. For example, um, rising social tensions and periodically throughout the life of an activity or relationship. To enable businesses to assess their human rights impact accurately they should seek to understand the concerns of particularly um, or potentially affected stakeholders by consulting them directly and in a manner that takes into account language and other potential barriers to effective engagement. And in situations where such consultation is not possible, companies should consider reasonable alternatives, such as consulting credible, independent expert resources, including human rights defenders and others from civil society. Now, with the purpose and context of human rights assessments in mind, how does such an assessment actually play out, Paula, from your experience and expertise?
1: So again, there is no standard or one-size-fits-all approach to human rights impact assessment, but there are a few key building blocks um, or components to an HRIA. The first is typically an assessment of your institutional frameworks at an international level as well as the legal frameworks at a local or country level that govern human rights. This assessment or this stage of the assessment would inform the baseline in terms of where your obligations lie to respect fundamental human rights. After this, you would then typically establish your country, company, and project profiles to ascertain what we call the zone of influence. And this, all this means is that this is the area or the context within which your operation either has or can have material human rights impacts or can influence human rights impacts. And this sort of sets the boundary of where your assessment will play out. And this includes establishing a baseline country profile from a human rights perspective, and um, We've seen that this is critical for assessing high-risk sectors or markets, mostly in countries which are known to have significant human rights violations. The third step or one of the other key building blocks is then to produce your company or your operational stakeholder map. And this is crucial because it allows you to identify both the duty bearers under the human rights regime, as well as the rights holders to which you owe that duty to respect human rights. And these are those that are affected both by your operations as well as the broader business relationships, often extending as far down the line as your customer profile. And once you've set those sort of baseline parameters, you then dive into the actual assessment methodology. So your impact assessment would typically start with assessing either the potential occurrence or the actual significance of an adverse human rights impact occurring. And that is with reference to the list of internationally recognized human rights. So from our first session, we might remember that that is those human rights that are referenced in the International Bill of Rights as well as the minimum foundational frameworks that are set out in the UNGPs. And you assess each of these fundamental human rights as a function of the impacts likelihood and severity. Now, there are guidelines in the various international frameworks on what each of likelihood and severity means in the human rights context. But principle 18 of the UNGPs does leave scope for interpretation and actually provides companies with flexibility on how to develop a range of approaches to assess your human rights risks and impacts. At this stage, it's important to note that um, traditional corporate risk assessments are not suitable for this exercise. And that's because assessing human rights or assessing impacts through a human rights lens cannot be evaluated using classical probability theory. Um, It's rather about involving a broad analysis of contextual and operational conditions. And in the same vein, severity is not an absolute concept like it is in the traditional corporate sense, and it's also context-specific. So to the extent that corporates are using risk and impact assessment methodologies that are rooted in traditional corporate thinking, these will need to be adapted or aligned with the human rights parameters in the guiding frameworks. Once you've undertaken this baseline assessment of likelihood versus severity, the next step is typically to undertake a saliency assessment. And what this entails is identifying the salient human rights impacts that should be prioritized by the business. And these need to be prioritized given that they are at risk of the most severe negative impact through the company's activities or business relationships. This principle is recognized in the UNGPs as well where it is understood that business enterprises can have an impact on virtually the entire spectrum of internationally recognized human rights. And so the responsibility to respect applies to all of these rights. But in practice, some human rights might be a greater risk than others, in particular industries or contexts. And they then need to be the focus of heightened attention by the business. It also needs to be remembered that once you've identified all your human rights impacts, they can't reasonably be addressed all at once. And so the focus must be on those that would cause the greatest harm to people first. And that means prioritizing impacts that are or would be most severe, either in their scope or scale, or where a delayed response by the company would render them to be irremediable. And as soon as those most severe impacts are addressed, the enterprise will then turn to the next greatest severity and so on until they've addressed all of the actual and potential impacts on human rights. Again, we have to bear in mind that this is an ongoing exercise and it's likely to need to be adjusted to the changing circumstances of the business. And the human rights impact assessment will then typically end with the setting out of some detailed recommendations on how to address salient human rights impacts that have been identified. And you would then map out the next steps in the Human Rights DD, given that this is step one. Perhaps you can take us through the next steps of the Human Rights Due Diligence that does flow from this Human Rights Impact Assessment at step one.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Paula. And again, we look to the UNGPs for this, this guidance on the next steps. And in particular, principles 19 to 21 provide guidance on each of the remaining steps in the Human Rights Due Diligence process. Now, step two is integrating and acting on the findings uh, that were identified in step one. This usually requires the company to integrate the findings from its human rights impact assessment across the business's relevant internal functions and processes. And this is often referred to as horizontal integration. And it requires taking appropriate action to implement recommendations and responses. Now, the effective integration requires that Firstly, responsibility for addressing these impacts is assigned to the appropriate level and function within the business enterprise. And secondly, internal decision-making, budget allocations and oversight processes enable effective responses to these impacts. Now, appropriate action will vary according to whether that particular business causes or contributes to an adverse impact or whether it is involved solely because The impact is directly linked to its operations, products, or services by a business relationship. Um, And in addition, the extent of its leverage in addressing the adverse impact. Now, leverage is an important concept as it's considered to exist where the company has the ability to affect change in the wrongful practices of another entity that causes harm. And in practice, we see that this step could entail reviewing Um, the extent to which existing processes in the organization already adequately address the identified human rights risks and impacts, such as mapping and reviewing key business functions, company policies and codes of conduct, statistics and surveys, operational measures, procurement procedures, audit processes, or audits and results, for example. Also management systems, complaints and grievance mechanisms, and other sources of information and then identifying gaps and areas for improvement. When you look at all of that in totality, step three then covers monitoring and evaluation, and that means tracking the company's responses to its identified human rights risks and the effectiveness of these responses. This supports the understanding that a human rights due diligence is a multi-stage and not a singular process. And tracking will generally require the company to establish appropriate performance indicators and draw on feedback from internal and external sources, including the affected stakeholders. Now, tracking should be integrated into relevant internal reporting processes. And here, companies might employ tools that they already use in relation to other issues, such as performance contracts and reviews, or surveys and audits, for example. Operational level grievance mechanisms can also provide important feedback on the effectiveness of the company's human rights due diligence from those who are directly affected. And Paula, finally, step four deals with reporting. And this uh, deals largely with communicating to interested and affected parties how the company's identified human rights impacts are being or will be addressed. With the increased focus um, and spotlight on ESG, for example, reporting on non-financial performance and impacts, including in business and human rights matters, has become crucially important in providing a measure of transparency and accountability to individuals or groups who may be impacted by the operations and or uh, business relationships, including investors. Companies also need to consider whether independent verification of human rights reporting is needed, uh, to strengthen its content and credibility, now companies will, in that light, need to consider the format and reporting requirements to ensure adequate compliant disclosure of human rights information, and that includes benchmarking against industry peers, local regulations, international regulations and soft law frameworks, and of course, whether external consultants should be appointed to review any draft disclosures or reports from a risk perspective and for assurance purposes.
1: Thank you, Puja. I think it's clear from this that a human rights due diligence is by no means a simple task, nor is it a once-off exercise. Um, but with that, our technical download is complete, and we do hope that this provided some useful insight into the human rights due diligence process and the various steps that are involved. In our next session, we will cover some of the practical learnings from our experience in business and human rights matters. And so we do invite you and hope that you will join us for our final installments coming up soon. Thank you. You
0: have been listening to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. You can find and subscribe to the podcast on all major platforms. For more expert legal insights and updates, Visit WeberWenzel.com.